Okay, James chapter 4 and um, some of chapter 5. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but you do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you, did, you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. Your adulterous, you adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity with, against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us? But he gives us more grace. That is why scripture says... God opposes the proud, but shows favour to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. Brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against a brother or sister or judges them speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you are not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. There is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. But you who are but you who are to judge, who are you to judge your neighbour? Now listen, you who say Today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why do you not even know what will happen tomorrow? What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. Now listen, you rich people. Weep and wail because of the misery that is coming on you. Your wealth has rotted and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. Look, the wages you failed to pay the workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have 
reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the innocent one who was not opposing you. This is the word of the Lord. Well, the word church simply means gathering. And here we are, <laughs> gathering again. Isn't this wonderful? It's just terrific to see you all. And so good to hear your voices lifted up in song, even if slightly muffled by those masks. Well, I had the privilege this week of being at our uh, final uh, Alpha course uh, this uh, evening. And the course, if you know the Alpha course, you'll know that the final topic in the Alpha course is the church. And the talk's really inspiring, really positive, very encouraging, because uh, the, the, the talk says basically the church is uh, friends, it's fellowship, it's deep friendship. The church is home. In, in the Old Testament, the, the uh, temple was God's home. And in the New Testament, the church is God's home. We are brothers and sisters to each other. The church is Jesus, his body, of which he is the head. And, and the church is uh, united but not uniform. The church is the largest uh, not-for-profit welfare group in the world. It's the fastest growing volunteer organisation on the planet. It is the most persecuted minority in the world today. And by the end of that video, um, you, I feel like shouting the creed. You know that part in the creed where it says, I believe in the church? I, I feel like saying, yes, I believe in the church. This holy, universal church. I believe that the church is called, what the church is called to be, as the future of humanity. That is fantastic. And yet, and yet, and yet, as, as we come to this letter in James, the half-brother of Jesus, the leader of the first church of Christianity, in his letter to all the churches, he, he writes this. What causes fights and quarrels amongst you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but you do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. And when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend it on your pleasure. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity with God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Why this tone in this letter? Why has James gone down this path? Well, he's told us in the previous chapter, it's because he wants us to lead beautiful lives. So in chapter 3, verse 13, he wrote, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show by their good life, by deeds done and the humility that comes from wisdom. And the word he uses for good there means literally beautiful. Show by your beautiful life with, with deeds done in wisdom. And so what he describes in chapter 4 is when the wisdom of this world, that is our instinctual reactions that he's talked about in chapter 3, or the wisdom from below, the demonic uh, wisdom that deliberately seeks to hurt and destroy, infects our beauty as the church. And, and we saw that last week in Jesus' teaching on the, in the Sermon on the Mount that the rebukes of Scripture are for us warning signs 
They're warnings that the waters that we're swimming in can be dangerous waters. So the heart of James' message to the church in this passage is that the path upward to the beautiful life is down through the valley of humility. So come near to God and God will come near to you. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. Now, there are four areas areas in uh, which James vividly uh, applies humble wisdom to us in the church. They are in our desires and in our prayers, in our speaking and our judging, in our planning and our arrogance, in our wealth and corruption. So let's Let's have a look at that. If you've got a Bible there or a device, you can get a Bible on. When we can't hand you out Bibles at the moment in church. That would be a really, really helpful thing to do. So you can follow along. So I'm James chapter 4, verse 1, desire and prayer. Now, you remember, if you've been following our series on James, that uh, this is the second time that James has been talking about the topic of answered prayer. And in chapter 1, uh, he asked us to pray for the wisdom we need to make use of our sufferings. Not a prayer we normally tend to pray, but that's what he asked us to pray for. But he mentioned there is something that actually blocks effective prayer at that point. And in our translations, we, we, we translate it as the word doubt, but it doesn't quite mean what we mean by the word doubt. It means literally to be two-souled. That's what he says, two-souled. And, and here in chapter 4, he's unpacking Uh, what a two-souled, unfocused prayer life is known by, and it's known by this, quarrels and fights in the church. How? Well, basically, the internal battle in our desires gets taken out on the relationships that are around us. And there are two things that make our prayers ineffective here. One is prayerlessness, he says. That is, uh, we desire, we do not have because we do not ask. Uh, So quarreling in the church may be a sign that we've stopped actually relating to God. And second, he says, the battle of pleasures. Uh, We ask our prayers are ineffective because we ask to spend them on, on our pleasures and not on what pleases God. So our prayers become a means to an end instead of a genuine relating of our will and God's will. So quarreling is a sign that maybe we've stopped respecting God. So church quarrels, bizarrely, are, in James, a measure of our prayers. And that's a biblical theme, isn't it? We, we know that right from, right from way back in the Old Testament. How we relate to our neighbour, the image of God, is a sign of how we are relating to God. Now, as you know, if you've been following this series, James is a pull-no-punches kind of preacher. Okay? He's a really colourful character. And he doesn't hold back. When he talks about these these fights in the church, he calls them murder and adultery. Most commentators think that he's using that kind of language because he's picking up what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. If you hate your brother, really what's happening is you're just waiting for him to stop breathing so he'll get out of the way. And, and, And to love the world and to desire the things of this world is to commit adultery against the love of God. So what is the solution to uh, church fights and quarrels? You'll be surprised to learn it's not a conflict resolution program. No, the way up 
is first the way down into the valley of humility. And it's there in uh, chapter 4, verse 7. Submit then to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. Now, I cannot tell you how encouraging I find these words because there are many times in our ministry or many times in uh, my prayer that I feel the devil is basically too big. The issues are too complicated. They're too large. The opposition is strong and organized and it's well-resourced. But look at what the devil flees. The repentant. Because they are breaking with the spirit of this world, the spirit of desire and strife that he, he promotes in our hearts, the seeds of enmity he sows amongst God's people. They dry up, they die as repentance gives way to faith and faith gives way to changed lives. The way up to the beautiful life is down. That's desire and prayer. But James goes on then to talk about speaking and judgment from verse 11. Now, James, like Jesus, is not against judgment. We actually need right judgment. In fact, this letter is full of judgments, isn't it? Just listen to the passage if it had read out. But James, like Jesus, is against judgmentalism. That is a, a, the kind of judgment that applies standards to others that it doesn't first apply to itself. God is humble, says James. He will draw near to us if we draw near to him. He will do that. But God is also fiercely fair, and the measure we give will be the measure that we receive. And this is especially so when it comes to slander, says James, the kind of thing that causes quarrels and fights in the church, where we misrepresent another person, where our aim is to condemn them. And James says these are dangerous waters to swim in because when we do this, uh, we're judging the law. We're judging the words of God. And you think, well, how, how are we doing that? Well, it's because the law, the words of God, were actually uh, given to human beings for mercy, not for condemnation. Even when you read the Old Testament, all those laws about this, that, and the other thing to do, most of those laws are about sacrifices for sin. Many of them are. So why? So you can come back into fellowship with the people that you've, you, you've offended, so, you, you, so that friends can be reconciled, so, so that we can be reconciled with God. God's actually working to make human lives more beautiful, but if we slander a brother or a sister, we're working against God's intention for them. Now, I mean, as Paul puts it in Romans, who are we to judge the servant of another and falsely condemn them like that. Our judgment comes back upon ourselves. No. Come near to God and he will come near to you, says James. So that's desire and prayer, that's speaking and judgment, and our planning and arrogance. We're picking this up from verse 13, and my goodness, isn't this interesting? There are two things you're going to find odd about this passage. 
First of all, it seems that James has jumped from the church on Sunday morning right into the middle of a a boardroom meeting on Monday morning. And the second thing we kind of find odd about this passage is that he calls planning, he appears to call planning evil. That won't go down very well in Hawthorne, I don't think. Now, I, I kind of love how we think church and work are separate things, but in the New Testament, everywhere, it assumes that you are the church, not this building. And when you walk into work, you're walking into work as the church. That's who you are. And in fact, for James, the whole point of this passage is that our lives are living prayers. And he just assumes, of course, that that's going to happen in our business dealings as well. Of course it is. Faith is not merely a private matter. In James's mind, that would be to have faith without works. Of course, your faith is going to influence your work. But, but how is planning evil? Because we can be so arrogant about it, can't we? If we succeed, we blame our brilliance. If we fail, we blame our circumstances. That's basically how I roll. Don't know about you guys. The truth is, life is not a right. There is a reason we can give for why, oh, sorry, there is no reason why we can give for why we're actually sitting here now. We, we don't have a right to be alive right now. It is a gift of grace. It is a gift of God at all that we are here now together. And when we plan without acknowledging that our existence is sustained by grace and not by the works of our hands, that's a kind of boasting that James calls evil. Why does he call it evil? Because it's godless or worse. It's ascribing to ourselves a power to manage life that belongs to God alone. It's without reverence and it's therefore unreal. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of of useful and wise, beautiful planning. And we must start there in reverence. But please notice this. Please please don't mishear what James is saying or what I'm saying. James expects us to plan in business, in all aspects of our lives, to plan. We've read the book of Proverbs. We know it is wise to plan. But again, the way up is the way down through the valley of humility. We have to wait upon the grace and the gift of God. Yes, diligence and work and opportunity matter, but at heart, life's a gift. And the key to live life is actually reverent trust, not arrogance. Come near to God, says James, and he will come near to you. So that's desire and prayer, that's speaking and judgment, that's planning and arrogance, and then wealth and corruption. And and James is still with the business community at this point, at the beginning of chapter 5 in his letter. He's concerned for corruption in business, and it's actually the second time that James has addressed the wealthy people in the church. And Now, as we know, as I I said when we were looking at James chapter 1, James is not against wealth. He's just against what wealth tends to do to us. And there's three characteristics of the type of wealth that God 
is against. And, and this is what he says. It's very interesting. First of all, the type of wealth that James here condemns is hoarding. It ties up assets and possessions without putting them to work in order to create opportunities for others. It's like that servant in Jesus' parable, the talents, remember that? That final servant who takes, who takes the wealth and buries it in the ground because I heard you're such a, a harsh master and you, you're going to demand what isn't yours and doesn't even take the risk of in, investing it with the bankers. But put that another way, it's the responsibility of the wealthy for them to put their wealth to work in order to create greater wealth for the community. Interesting. The second aspect of wealth that James doesn't like here is, is the ripoff. And he goes straight back to the Hebrew wisdom literature. Basically, uh, the rigged scales, the dodgy exchange rate, the cheating interest calculation, the fine print that robs the widows and orphans of their homes, the wages defrauded from laborers in the field or in the, the workshop, it will all eventually come undone. Why? Because you've made God your enemy. Read the Harvard Business Review sometime about ethics in. Uh, in business and see, see how that actually works out. It just works out. That's the way it is. And the third aspect of wealth that James doesn't like here is luxury. Now, one question is, uh, when is enough enough? Sure. But the deeper question is, if, if luxury is all the treasure we desire, then what have we become in ourselves? We've probably become shallow people who are frankly not much fun to be with. And if we pick up the theme of Jesus' teaching in the Sermon on the Mount we looked at last week, if, if our heart is where our treasure is, then eternity is a long time to live without the things that we've loved in this life. Do you remember years ago um, I, I was working in country Victoria then and there was that bumper sticker on the back of cars that says, he who dies with the most toys wins? Maybe you don't remember that. Maybe that was a country thing. Anyway, one of my mates is a farmer. He, he took exception to this. So he had another bumper stick, sticker made up and he had it across the back of his ute. And it read simply, he who dies with the most toys still dies. <laughs> Very ironic guy. There's a better way. The way to the beautiful life is down through the valley of humility. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Now, I love the church. I believe passionately in what she says she wants to be in her creeds and in her liturgies. I believe that God is making his bride, the church, the church spotless, without blemish and without fault before him, to be presented pure and holy for the day of the wedding at that final Christmas when the Lord Jesus comes again to marry his bride to be joined with his people fully. And I believe that the Holy Spirit is powerfully at work amongst us now, doing the prep work for our final renovation now, teaching us now how to live a beautiful life, now how to store up treasures in heaven. And I believe in the wisdom from above, the wisdom and power of God that wants us to live changed lives now, and that's available to us now. And I believe that we are encouraged and we are warned to discipline our lives. 
to persevere in our prayers, to learn to desire what God desires and then to ask for that, uh, to learn to respect the work of salvation that God is doing in our brothers and sisters rather than to slander them, uh, to learn to plan with humility because life itself, let alone eternal life, is a gift of God and we don't control that. To learn to use our wealth to bring material and spiritual wealth to others to promote life rather than to hinder it or to disable it. I believe the devil flees from a repentant and humble church. I believe that the way up is first down through the valley of humility because our God is a humble God in Jesus Christ who wants to draw near to us, even us. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Amen.